Hi, my name is Carol. And I'm an Alanonic. That's an Alanon with alcoholic tendencies. True. I see Gloria shaking. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I'm delighted to be here because I have. It's just like being home. All your speakers uh, that you have this week are terrific, and uh, I've met most of them, and they're part of my love relative family, and uh, I like them better than my blood relatives, and uh, because I never have to explain to them where I'm at, they can see where I'm at with my with their eyes, and uh, I want to thank Pat for the committee for asking me first of all and Pat and his lovely wife Terry picked us up at the airport last night and uh, and brought us here and uh, in the old days we would have gone directly to bed and uh, we did not uh, we did it all and at four o'clock this morning we were still going and uh, I brought with me a friend Marcella here in the front row sitting with Gloria and her husband Bob and and uh, my husband wasn't able to come because Reno is a little too high for him. He's a lung transplant, and uh, and he's uh, not able to travel with me. But he sends you his very best, and that's me. <laughs> Your committee is just wonderful. Uh, I enjoyed the speaker and the committee's reception. It's always nice because when you get to a place that you've never been before, you know, it's nice to get here early enough to, to meet some of the committee and, and uh, not feel so inadequate. Because, of course, like, uh, I'm very, very honored to be sharing Al-Anon anywhere, but especially here. This Reno has a lot of memories for me, uh, some good, some bad. And uh, I have a couple of friends from San Francisco that I really didn't expect. I hadn't seen Kathy and Marilyn in a long time. And uh, so it's just really neat. It feels like coming home. Uh, I was married here 44 years ago to the bad one. No. <laughs> and my father was um, married, and I stayed right here in this hotel for a week, and uh, and it was wonderful. So it, the elephant's still here, and so am I. And uh, it was really nice to see the show last night. We just had a, we've had a fantastic time, and uh, just. I'm going to give him my expense check for all that I've lost in those slot machines out there. <laughs> but uh, it's just delightful. I'm just so grateful to be here. I need to first of all tell you that I'm an Al-Anon that is very comfortable, also an Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm an Al-Anon that uh, believes in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. That's the way I, I came in. And uh, I uh, I think that after we've worked the first step, that we're identical. We're the same. I don't think the feelings are any different, whether you're alcoholic or Al-Anon. I really don't. So uh, I'm very comfortable. And I know there's some alcoholics here. Would you like to raise your hand? Oh, yeah. Right on. The ones with the open minds. Great. Yeah. But anyway, I uh, I need to tell you a little bit about what I what I was like, what happened and what I'm like today. And uh, I want to tell you that the lady that you see up here tonight looks nothing like the lady that came into Allen on. Uh, I have before and after pictures if you'd like to see them. And uh, I've not had a facelift. I've had a mind lift thanks to Allen on and open AA meetings and Alateen when I'm invited. And those are the only three things that I go to. I qualify for a lot of other things. But uh, these three programs have given me anything and everything that any woman could desire in her life, far more than if I'd have made a list. Uh, I just celebrated 20 years in Al-Anon on August 15th, and let me tell you, it went just like that. The fastest 20 years of my life. And uh, I can't tell you, to the newcomers, if you're new at this, and this is your first convention or your first time around Al-Anon, if you give this program the same attention you give their drinking, you are going to be a success. <laughs> that I can promise you, you know. Some things never change, you know. Uh, Lois Wilson wrote the book Lois, Lois Remembers, and Bill wrote as Bill sees it. So you see, nothing ever changes, you know. I'm an army brat. I'm one of seven children. Uh, I have five wonderful brothers and a sister. Uh, I was raised with those boys for many, many years. And uh, when my sister came along, I need to tell you, I didn't like her. Uh, she was all the things that I was not. And the things that I'm sharing with you tonight here in Reno are 
are a direct result of a written four-step done with the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous and written in the four-column method. And I know that that's not conference-approved, but I'm also happy to tell you that nobody in this room is conference-approved. And uh, the only thing that is is the literature, and I'm very careful about that. But that four-step freed me to be me, and uh, it, it gave me labels for my life. I don't know about you, but I feel no different than the alcoholic. I never fit in. I didn't like me when I was born. I was born this tall, so I was always the last in line for everything. And uh, But I got to run with my brothers for years and years, and my dad's an army man, and he raised us just like the army. We had Saturday morning inspections. We, we, we were <laughs> restricted to quarters, which to me was worse than a whipping. Uh, he whipped us with the belt. I do not go to battered children's anonymous. I am not that dumb. Uh, we deserved everything we got. And uh, besides, it was a lot of fun to watch each other get a whipping because my dad was gone a lot. But my mother, who's a dynamite lady at 87, uh, has a wonderful memory. And she has a great sense of humor, which she gave to all of us and which I misused all my married life till I got to Al-Anon. <laughs> But she would just report to Dad when he came home. She'd just march us in the living room, and she'd tell, she did this, he did that, she did this, he did that, and he'd whip us, and we'd stand outside and watch each other. So it was kind of fun, you know, because we'd say, boy, did you see the look he got, you know. It serves him right, you know. And uh, we just had a lot of fun. Our household was fun. My folks aren't alcoholic. There was lots of drinking on Saturday night. There were lots of parties on those Army bases. Uh, I did not like being a girl. And uh, because I thought that my dad didn't like me because I was a girl and that he wanted all boys. Uh, the rule in our house was that I had to go with those boys wherever they went for many, many years. And I just absolutely loved it. And even today when the, we're together, I remind them that I can do anything they can do better. And I could beat them at most of the sports. And uh, I tell them that the only difference between me and them is that they've never been pregnant and I've never been circumcised. And that's it. <laughs> We, we moved a lot, and I hated it. I hated being the new kid in town. I said I hated being thin, skinny. sure wish I had some of that today, but uh, my mother didn't know how to do hair, so I wore my hair wrapped, braids wrapped around my head till I was 16 years old. And uh, there was not much that I thought about when I was a kid, except that when I knew that when I grew up, there were only a couple things that I wanted. I wanted to grow up get married and have eight children and live in a little town all my life and never, ever move. I, I, my children would go to school there and their children would go to school there and, and I, I, that's all I ever talked about. And I am so grateful that as I stand here today that God does not listen to the prayers of fools. Uh, I don't know what I would have done with eight. I had enough time with, I had a hard enough time with four, but, um, that's kind of how our life was, but our family was fun, so I never had any fear about drinking. Everybody I knew drank, and they seemed to have a good time. My father always teased me because he said from the time I was 16, I always wanted to be 40, because it seemed to me when I was growing up that people 40 years old had it all together. They could just do anything they wanted. They dressed right. They had fun, and, and uh, it just looked like that to me and it's true of course when I reach 40 I'm going to have a lot more fun and uh, since I'm only 20 uh, it's getting better but uh, it was a lot of fun so I never paid any attention to the drinking and uh, my father as I said moved a lot and he moved um, moved us to New York and when I was very young and, and he decided that it was time for me to get out of overalls and uh, to become a lady and so he put me in a convent and uh, might not seem strange to you but my folks aren't Catholic and uh, still aren't but in those days that's what people did now I felt different because my brothers were not going to private school my sister much younger than I was not going to private school and she was all the things that I thought I should have been, like tiny, cute, and petite, you know. And uh, and I, as I said, I didn't care for her much when she was born. And even today, uh, we don't see too much of one another because she has a little uh, pill problem. But, of course, it's prescription, so it doesn't mean anything. And uh, she doesn't need this program, I've been told. And uh, I release her with love to do whatever she likes. But I know she's practicing because she makes midnight or 2 a.m. calls to me collect and uh, and I still accept them. And uh, 
that's okay because she has to do whatever she has to do to get there. And if she's anything like her big sister, pain was my only motivator, let me tell you. I did not come in here because I was out shopping at Bullock's and wanted to see what you had on sale. I came here because I was in a lot of pain, and I stayed today because of that four-letter word love, and uh, I don't ever want to forget that. But uh, I was in this convent, and uh, I had the meanest nuns in the world. They were trained by Hitler. And... I'm still friends with the meanest nun in that convent. She drinks scotch on the rocks, and she doesn't wear a habit anymore. And I, and I think so, now that I've seen nuns take a cake in Alcoholics Anonymous, I know why they were so mean. And uh, it explained a whole lot to me. But uh, she taught me a lot. First of all, she taught me not to chew gum. She had warned me about chewing gum. And uh, when she caught me again, she, she had me eat... Uh, Yes, so called Fells Naphtha, I guess, and then most of you are too young to remember that. But uh, I got to chew it and swallow it, and uh, I didn't chew gum till I was 45 years old. <laughs> and uh, even today, I only chew half a stick because I need one of those boogers, you know. <laughs> she was consistently mean, though. That's one thing I can say about it. And I'm grateful for that education today. I was n- not at the time. And uh, I was rebellious. Uh, not Because in those days, not like today, when you got in trouble in school, you got in trouble at home. A big trouble, And uh, in my case. and uh, But I had a, a lot of fun in school. Uh, in the middle of that schooling, my dad was transferred overseas right after the war. And uh, I went over there and uh, went to a high school that only had 35 high school students. And I had a wonderful time. And uh, it was just a lot of fun because there was like 50 million fellas and uh, very few young ladies around. So it was a lot of fun at the Red Cross clubs where my father didn't know we were. But uh, my, my oldest brother always had to take me with him. And I was very popular in high school. It was not because I was interesting and helpful and had a great personality. It was because I had five good-looking brothers at home. And that automatically guarantees you a lot of girlfriends. And uh, and my family encouraged us to bring kids home, so it was always a very open thing. And uh, I didn't date too much because when I dated, my five brothers would sit down here in the front in the front room, and they would one would drag his leg and the other one would drool in his mouth, you know, and uh, they just thought they were really hot stuff. And I didn't get many repeaters, you know. They they didn't come back second time. And uh, I was not allowed to date till I was 16, and by then I was back in the United States and on a large army base up north, and uh, I met the God of my understanding. And uh, he was wonderful, as all alcoholics are. I love alcoholics, um, especially sober ones. And uh, he was everything that any young girl could want, you know. And I know today that I entered into that relationship with absolutely no self-worth. I don't know where it went. I would have had trouble, I know that through my inventory, in any marriage I entered into. Today I can tell you that I'm grateful that I married an alcoholic. I have the right to call him an alcoholic. As I was told early on in Al-Anon, I did not have the right to call him an alcoholic because he was not a sober member of Alcoholic Synonymous and did not raise his hand as such. I had called him lots of things. Never an alcoholic. I didn't know anything about alcoholism, but he was wonderful. And I entered into that relationship the same way I entered into the marriage two years later. Lucky. Wasn't I lucky that this tall, good-looking man wanted somebody like me? You see, I, I felt ugly all my life. Felt like the ugly duckling, you know. Didn't know where I was going, didn't want to be what I was, and had no idea that all my life I stood on a hill of diamonds looking for gold. And uh, no idea that what I would become. And uh, I absolutely love what I am today, and I love my family. And it's just, like I said, giving me everything. But anyway, uh, my husband, we went together for two years. We were engaged for two years. My family adored him. I always thought for years that they liked him better than me. I know today that my brothers adored him because I have uh, three of my brothers that I think their pro- drinking is a problem to me, whether or not they're alcoholics, none of my business, and uh, I don't spend too much time around them. They adore my husband because he could sit there and, and listen to their stories, you know, and uh, I don't have that kind of uh, 
serenity yet. It still bothers me to see the to see the devastating disease of alcoholism work in my family. And uh, so he proposed to me in the magic two words that a lot of ladies of my era heard with your what? And and uh, <laughs> you guys are slow. <laughs> And we ran away to Reno, Nevada, and got married. And uh, for years, I thought that God was getting even with me because I was pregnant when I got married. Worse than that, years later, I decided it was not being pregnant. It was that I had married a Southern Baptist. And uh, according to the Catholic Church, that's worse. And Because uh, by then I had become a convert to Catholicism. And let me tell you, being a convert is much worse than being a cradle Catholic because I majored in guilt and minored in shame. Everything that was any fun was bad. Now that's as I heard it, not as I was taught. And uh, I still have selective hearing on some days when I'm not in a good place. And I have a gauge for that, so I kind of watch it. But... Um, I entered into that marriage with all the hopes and dreams that any young bride could have. Uh, we we had a little girl, and uh, you know I had talked to him because I can tell you about uh, practicing drunks. Is uh, they are your best friend. I mean, you can tell them anything. Took me years in Al-Anon to learn not to do that because it never sounds the same when it comes back a month later. You know, <laughs> never. You know, God, I I can remember that. Um, my marriage is no different than a lot of marriages with alcohol. Uh, there's nothing unique about my marriage. I had all the things go on that you've ever read or heard about. Uh, I don't make a big deal about it because it's it's not unique. You know, it's just a garden variety alcoholic marriage. And uh, I'm grateful for every single thing that happened to me. And I never thought I would be able to say that uh, because it got me here. It got me here. And I would go back and do it all over again, and I wouldn't change anything if I could have what I have this moment right here. And uh, we, uh, <laughs> I said once to my sponsor, when I, you know, name-calling goes on in drinking marriages. I don't know about yours. Uh, and, I, and I always took that personal. You know, took Alan on in open A meetings to learn that words can only hurt you if you let them, and uh, that the problem is right between my ears. It's nowhere else. I don't go into my mind much today because it's not my friend. And uh, I try to live spontaneously and I'm responsible for my mouth. And uh, and that's that's good to remember. But um, I can remember running to my sponsor early on in Ellen and I said, he's still calling me a whore. And she said, well, you either are or you aren't. And I thought, I thought, how profound this woman is. I mean, I spent years defending my morals. You know, I used to make those four babies sleep with me, you know, because to prove where I at was, was, and he'd come home and put them all back to bed and come in and rip the covers off and say, where were you? And I'd say, I was here. And he'd say, no, you weren't. And I'd think, was I here? I mean, you know, that's crazy. I was absolutely crazy. I don't have any quarrel being sicker than the alcoholic. I always raise my hand the highest. You heard my story when you heard Understanding Ourself. I think it's the finest piece of literature that ever came out of New York before or since. And believe, believe it or not, it came from a little bitty book called The Alcoholic Marriage. That was Alan On's first book published in 1952. And that's where it came from. And... Uh, not many people know that, but I wanted you to know that. But uh, alcoholic marriage was no different. There was just lots of things that went on in my home. My husband was a violent alcoholic, and uh, uh, I know today that I have to take responsibility for that because when he came home, it was like my mouth was attached to the doorknob. He came home, and I started. And, uh, and I always knew how to start, and he knew how to start me, and it was always, you know, I just never could shut up. I, I didn't know what tough love was. I thought it was standing up to him, and he was a very large man. And uh caused me lots of lumps and bumps. And uh so I have to uh, know today, and also from open A meetings, I want to tell you, that Alcoholics Anonymous took a lot of the pain out of my marriage. Because I just thought I was crazy. Because we had these knock-down, drag-out fights. And uh the next day he'd be singing in the shower, and I'd say, how can you be so happy? What happened last night? And he'd say, 
nothing happened last night. You're really sick. I think, well, I, I'm not, I look like I got hit by a truck, but uh, who knows? Maybe I am crazy, you know? And, you know, Alanons are cheap. They don't go to hospitals like they do today. They go crazy at home, you know? And you know who pays the price for that? The kids. It was just a common garden variety drunk marriage, you know? He beat me. I beat the kids, and the kids kicked the dog. And that's as simple as you can make it, you know? There's lots of things about that marriage I didn't like. Uh, I, he never ever told me, Carol, I'm going to be gone about 14 days, and while I'm gone, don't eat, sleep, or, you know, have any fun. Don't go anywhere with the children, but go to work every day and lie, cheat, and steal from me. But I did it, and I did it at my own free will. I'm not a victim. I was a volunteer. And, uh, and I'm happy to say that today. Um uh, Bad checks certainly go with uh, drinking marriages. Checks to a liquor store and bars have magic shoots even today because I work for a bank, and I know that, but uh, they're not the same for grocery stores and things like that. Uh, we talked about having children. He didn't want any, so I have four, and they're all mine. I could name them for you, you know, but I call them Coors, Jim Beam, Wild Turkey, and... Uh, <laughs> I'm an Alanon that tried it all, you know. Uh, I drank with my husband. In the beginning, I wouldn't go out and drink with him. And my oldest brother said, you know, if you don't go with him, there's a lot of women out there that will. And so that got my attention. And uh, I went out with my husband every Friday night for 22 and a half years to keep the romance in a marriage. I'm happy to tell you it don't work. Uh, I got drunk at him, for him, against him, tried to get drunk first so he'd see what he looked like, and uh, all it did was make me sick, and I'm grateful for that, because you see, I had a lot of fun in the beginning with that, but alcohol alcohol does not do for me what it does for the alcoholic. I have a friend named Peggy M. in Nebraska, and I heard her speak early on, and I can tell you what I heard when I was at this convention with her. And it'll tell you the difference. She said, the more I drank, the bigger my tits grew. And I thought, God, it never did anything for me that way, you know. It never, ever made me short, blonde, and voluptuous, you know, the way I'd like to be, you know, to make him come home. And uh, I'm still waiting to develop, you know. And uh, so that's the difference. And so it becomes necessary for... For me to not drink so I can watch him and count the drinks and know what's going to happen. And I never knew what was going on. You see, I believed everything he ever said to me. It was always my fault. You know, he would come home and I would apologize for whatever he said I had done that caused him to stay away so long. You know, and those were called meaningful conversations. And I don't like the word meaningful. I don't use it much today because you all know what kind of conversations they are. And uh, we would start over, and it was going to be different, and he would, would always be my fault, no matter what I did. I tried to be a better housekeeper. I became Mrs. Clean. You could eat off my floors, but who wanted to? It was not a happy household. And the kids were going crazy. You know, they didn't know what to expect. He was a, a very uh, violent person, and he would, uh, I have two boys that were abused, and uh, I stopped that abuse, and I don't know where I got the courage to do it, but... Uh, I was out of town on business. I worked since I was 14 years old, so I always had a full-time job. And I was always in every organization for school, business and professional women, you name it, and I was in it. And I know today, through that inventory, the reason I was in those things was I didn't want to take a look at Carol. I didn't want to face up to what was happening in my home. I went to bed every single night thinking that what was happening in my home was not happening. That's sick. That's sick. You know, what? and I don't talk much about sexual abuse from the podium. I can tell you that I have a friend, Tom I, and he said, if you have even laid down next to a wet drunk, you have been sexually abused. So I just leave it at that. (laughs) You know, all that stuff is just ordinary behavior, you know. It's just no big deal. And uh, that's the way our life went. We moved a lot, and I hated that. Again, because he knew that I didn't want to move, but uh, I didn't know there were geographics. I didn't know anything about the disease of alcoholism. I never looked at his drinking. I didn't understand why he had to 
drink before we went to a party. Well, we had to have all the parties at our house. We played all those games in the home that you play, you know, in the big bed, out of the big bed, on the couch, off the couch, in, out, off. You know, it didn't make any difference. And if I tried the silent treatment, which he was always very grateful for, uh, he would invite his whole office home and I would cook because naturally I became a super cook trying to get them home. That's why Alan on potlucks are the very favorites of anyone because they never run out of food. You know, I have a friend in Laguna Beach who invented a sprayer to keep meat moist while she waited. And uh, <laughs> let me tell you, those things are necessary when you're trying to, you know, get them home. You've got to try everything. I've always thought that Alan should get together and have their own swap meet. They could form their own FBI and put them out of business because we can find anybody we want to. Yeah. We have the ability to hear our car a mile away and know whether they're drunk, whether they're sober, whether they've got any money, or what the car looks like, you know, and when we're going to fight when they get there, you know. So it was just a big deal. And I always laughed at the wrong time. I have always done that. And uh, not so much anymore, but then I did until I learned better. But it took me a long time because I'm a slow learner. But I'm grateful that I have that sense of humor because, as I said, it took a lot of pain out. But uh, to find out that it's just ordinary. We moved a lot and we ended up in Southern California. And uh, I can tell you what I know about the disease of alcoholism, which isn't much. But it is a deadly, progressive, ugly disease. They don't ever get better. They steadily get worse. And sometimes they die. I watched an alcoholic die, a very good friend of mine, and uh, it's not pretty. It's not pretty at all. But we moved to Southern California, and I hated it because I didn't like the freeways. I knew I'd never drive again. I was so paranoid uh, that I didn't find out until I did my inventory. The reason I didn't like to drive was because I was married to someone who didn't have car insurance. And uh, I wasn't bright enough to sit my children down and tell them that every time they turned 16 and their mother went crazy, you know, what was wrong. And uh, I didn't tell them that because you never you never did anything like that with your children. At least that's the way I heard it. You know, you always let the man be the disciplinarian, the head of the family, and so on and so forth. And you never interfered in that. But anyway, when we got to in California, things got worse. Uh, one of the worst things... Uh, in my marriage, I think, that bothered me the most, and uh, my sponsor had a lot of work for me when I got here over this, was um, my husband uh, had a lot of lower companions in his life, and uh, that's what I learned in Alcoholics Anonymous open meetings to call those women. And, uh, <laughs> and you know, I knew, I knew, but I didn't want to know. I don't know how many of you understand that, but that is not... Uh, part of alcoholism. I think it's a separate thing. I, to me it is anyway. It's a separate disease. And, uh, and it did a lot of damage to me. One more time when I got here, I didn't like being a woman at all. My sponsor had a lot of work for me in that area. But, um, I told him it didn't matter as long as he didn't bring those women to the same town where the children and I were working and they were going to school. And, uh, I'd like to tell you I never looked for him. I only went twice. And, uh, the first time to so I took the car because I didn't want him to kill anybody. And the next day when I came out of Mass, because by then I was a bead-clicking, candle-burning Catholic. Let me tell you, St. Jude and I are on a first-name basis. I don't even call him Saint anymore. And uh, the only three places I went when I came down on was to the cleaners to get his clothes, to the grocery store to get what I could, and uh, to church. And, uh, and I came out of Mass and my car was gone. And I thought it had been stolen. And naturally, I didn't have uh, any money with me. So I walked home. And by the time I got home, there he was, standing in my spot, cooking our famous breakfast uh, for all the neighbors and friends that came over to eat at our house. And uh, with that smile on his face, uh, that gotcha smile that you just like to kill, uh, I always thought about shooting him. You know, I just didn't know how I was going to go to jail. You know, murder is an, is an absolute ordinary feeling for people who live with drinking. I learned much better places, much ways, better ways to murder in open AA meetings than I ever did now. And, and uh, uh, I 
glad I didn't know anything about pills. I, I heard about antibuse, and I thought it was just something you put in a drink. The drink got sick and didn't drink anymore. And I can tell you from personal experience that their bodies do not react to pills the way ours do. And uh, one time we were having a big dinner party, and uh, he was so drunk, and I said to a friend of mine, I naturally didn't tell her anything because her husband drank as much as mine, and she's a member of Al-Anon in the, in the city, but she doesn't go where anyone recognizes her. <laughs> I think that's so dumb. <laughs> if she only knew, you know, that they only hang out with people who drink. So what else can they expect? But anyway, uh, she said, she was an RN, and she said, I said, I wish you'd just go to sleep. You know, I used to say that if my husband was the type of drunk that would come home drunk and hand me the check and say, oh, I feel terrible. I think I'll go to bed. I'd still be married. I think. I don't know. But takes what it takes. For me, it took a lot. And uh, because I never wanted a divorce. But it, anyway, she said, I have a couple sleeping pills. What you could do is just open them up and put them in his mashed potatoes. And I did. And he stayed awake three days. It was terrible. I mean, he never shut his eyes. Never. You know, and I didn't want him dead for long, just long enough to see what was happening, what was, what, you know, what he was, what was happening to us, you know. Um, I tried suicide twice in my marriage. I'm not proud of that fact, but I'm here to tell you, God don't make junk, he don't take junk, and he didn't want me. And uh, I've learned in Al-Anon and in A that nobody leaves here without God's permission. And that goes for everybody. And, uh, that's been a real comfort to me. But uh, I didn't want to be dead for long. You know. I wanted to look good, you know. When I woke up the last time and I was connected to everything in this hospital and, and, I, and I just couldn't believe what I had done, you know, and... Uh, it had caused such a breach between my sons and their father at the time. And uh, one of them still is uh, not resolved that, and uh, but he will in his own time, in his own way. I've learned through this program that that's between him and his dad, not between me and him and his dad. You know, I'm no longer in the middle, and I'm so grateful. But, um, like I said, those were just things I did. The second time I went looking for my husband... I uh, was one day out of St. Jude's Hospital. I had 100 stitches in one leg, and uh, he wasn't home. And he came to see me every afternoon. The nurses thought he was the most adoring husband in the world. And, you know, I was, I was real sarcastic. I know what sarcasm is now, but I would say to them, God, I wish you had him, you know, because I had a real smart tongue. And uh, I called because I knew how to find him. And it infuriated me because it... He and his lower companion were at a hotel that we had stayed at as a family when we first moved to Southern California, and I thought that was rather tacky. And uh, so I called, and he made his first mistake of the day. He answered the phone, and uh, Sam knew how to call those motels and say, would you tell Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so that, that I'm running late and I won't be able to join them for cocktails for another 30 minutes? And she'd say, oh, yeah, well, they'll be checking in any minute. So, aha, I knew how to found him. And... Uh, so I conned my 17-year-old son and a couple that was visiting me from the church that I worked at and uh, into driving me to that motel. I told him I would not go in. Big, big lie. The alcoholic has nothing about lying, you know. We're just as big a con. At least I was. I could only speak for myself. So I conned them into driving me up there. And uh, I don't know how I got in the room. I knocked on the door and they, he answered and they were not properly attired at 2.30 in the afternoon. And uh, the Lord companion ran into the uh, bathroom and locked the door. And uh, I don't know why she was afraid of me. And uh, I made a hole about this big in the bathroom door. And uh, <clears throat> I stole her wig and threw it out in the middle of Whittier Boulevard. And, and then I took her purse and... Uh, turned it into the police station because I knew that her husband was a cop in another town. And then I went back and had a drink with him. Because, you see, I wanted the money. I was into money, property, and prestige. What I wanted to do was pay the rent because we were being evicted. When I was new in Allen, I used to say we were moving. But this is podium pinnacle up here, and by God, you tell the truth. You're always surprised at what you say. And, uh, <clears throat> and I went back and had a drink with him because I wanted that money. Now, I don't do that to degrade the alcoholic. He was drunk. I was sober. 
You know, I'd like to tell you that the things I did in my marriage, I was drunk. Some of them I was, you know, but uh, most of them I was just cold sober and, and crazy, absolutely crazy. And never once thought about turning myself in, you know. How could I afford that, you know? We needed things for him. We always put him first. I learned from my sponsor how to not to do that today. I hope I remember to tell you. But anyway, that's kind of how my life went. And he came home after that, and we had one of those conversations, and I apologized for my behavior. And uh, that lady came over in the bar, that little companion, I almost calling her a lady, and uh, she said to me, I am so grateful, Carol, that you didn't call my husband. And my husband walked over behind her and said, if there's one thing about my wife I can tell you, is that she is a fine Christian. And let me tell you, talk about being angry. I popped my glass underneath the bar, and, and I swung on him, and uh, I'm the one that got cut. But uh, you know, that's how crazy I was. I was absolutely stark raving man. And, uh, and it got worse. never gets better. You know, we started all over again. By that time, our girls were married and living up north, and uh, I had two teenagers in high school, and uh, I was moving. He'd been gone for about two weeks, and uh, I'd gotten the courage uh, to hold back a couple checks of my own in my own account. I never thought about that before. How simple, you know. And uh, and he came back, and we were going to start over again. We moved into an apartment. We were evicted from that home and moved into an apartment with the boys and had a swimming pool, and we always wanted the life at the pool. And he said to me, you know, it's really going to be nice, Carol, because it won't be long till I have you all to myself. And that didn't have the same ring into it it did years before. Uh, I had gotten just a little bit suspicious and uh, that it was never, ever going to change and that I was just going to be crazy. But that particular day, uh, I remember very little of that day. In fact, absolutely nothing in this 20 years. I can't even tell you. What I know is what my son has told me. And uh, my husband asked me, to have a drink he said I'll fix your drink and I said no I will never drink with you again as long as you live and I don't know where the words came from and I don't remember anything after that I woke up at three o'clock in the morning I was covered in blood black and blue from head to foot had very few teeth no glasses and I'd lost the hearing in one ear one more time today as a result of my mouth and lack of knowledge I simply did not do what I was did not know what I was dealing with and what has helped me with that is I got up and ran away from home. Now, I had been to two AA meetings previous to that. My sober sister-in-law in Dallas uh, asked me if I would be embarrassed to take her to an AA meeting when she arrived here in California and her brother was in jail. And I wouldn't get him out of jail. I'd like to tell you I knew better, but it was because he had embarrassed me in front of his sister and his mother-in-law and I was a snob. And so she got him out of jail. But she, I took her to an AA meeting. And the speaker of that meeting was Serenity Sam, and, and it was the first time that I had laughed, a belly laugh, since I uh, had left my family. I mean, it, he was just wonderful. I just thought he had just as crazy family as I did, and, and he's still one of my favorite speakers, and, uh, and because he was one of the first. And uh, the second, uh, my husband called me one day and said, you don't have to worry about me. I'm, I'm going to AA to save our marriage, and I believe that. And... Uh, my boss told me, he said, don't ask to go with him, Carol, until he asked you, you know. And and I didn't. And he finally said, would you would you like to go to a meeting with me? And, you know, I went to that Friday night meeting in the harbor, the big speaker meeting. And and, uh, and I remember uh, as I was leaving, a lovely lady came up and she patted me on the hand. And she said, you know, you ought to come down. And I said, yeah, I work. And uh, that's the last thing I heard. Never thought about it again. I asked him why he had to, why all the people were standing there with these little green cards, and uh, he went ballistic. He called me everything but a white woman. I mean, it was just terrible. I was very embarrassed, and uh, I couldn't figure out what, what made him so angry about me asking a simple question. I was three years in Illinois before I found out that he'd been attending a on a court card, and uh, I didn't. I ran away from home that night, and I ran to my boss's house, and he called a doctor, and I called Alcoholics Anonymous, because that's all I could think of. And I'll be forever, ever, ever grateful for the gentleman that answered that phone. He kept me talking on the phone, and he finally said, Carol, give me the number 
where you're at and promise me that you'll stay there and I want this lady to call you right back. And uh, the magic of the program for me was that it seemed as though before I could put that phone on the cradle, it rang again. And it was a wonderful, wonderful lady from Texas. And uh, her name was Thelma, is Thelma. And uh, she talked to me about an hour and a half. She made it, you know, just a classic 12-step call. We don't get to make 12-step calls in our area too much because we have a treatment center or a hospital or something on every corner. And uh, we got everything in California. And, uh, and that's true. And uh, anyway, she came over to see me later. She did not say I looked bad or anything like that. We talked, and I don't remember what she talked about except she told me her story. And she took me to my first Al-Anon meeting that night in La Habra, California on August 15th of 1974, and I realized I was home. I liked it. I went into a room full of laughing, clapping, smiling people, and they were talking very spiritual, which was dirty, and I loved it. I just absolutely loved it. A little teeny tiny lady, like I always wanted to be, uh, came up at break time, and she shared with me how she had stopped the physical violence in her home. And uh, we don't give orders in Al-Anon, and we do not give advice. If someone's giving you advice, you are going to the wrong meeting. And uh, she shared with me, and, and uh, what she said was she just waited till he was sobering up and feeling remorseful, and then she just looked him in the eye and said, Remember, you have to sleep sometime. And... Uh, <laughs> sounded great to me so I went home and waited and my time came and uh, he was sobering up in that sitting on that couch and I said to him you'll never touch me again because I said just remember you have to sleep sometime now I was not as brave as that lady I had an aluminum ball bat in my hand when I said it and uh, and he had a hammer so uh, he became a nervous sleeper and I loved it God it was it was just fantastic you know he would be so drunk and he'd start to fall off then he'd look to see where I was you know and uh, what I can tell you about that is you know when you quit playing the games in your home it ain't no fun because it takes two to play those games and I never knew that I never even knew I was playing you know and uh, it was just a different ball game I, I, I learned to sleep my first meeting I went home and read the one day at a time and I went to sleep you know I never went to sleep before it was my duty to stand guard you know these are not marks from uh, old age they're Venetian blind marks from waiting you know you have to look out a lot you know it's important you know it's crazy it's just absolutely crazy I don't know how we all get here you know I said the other day that now I'm middle-aged you know I finally got my head together just in time to watch my body fall apart and that's just about the way it is you know and people say why did you stay I don't know why I stayed it was a lady who didn't have enough sense to come in all the pain I didn't know and when you don't know it's okay and if you understand that you're now on but my sponsor this lady became my first sponsor because I heard about sponsors and a sponsor was explained to me that someone you wanted to be like when you grew up now that made sense to me and I've heard it expressed as a guide and I love that you would not dream of going to China or Africa or Japan without a guide so how can you expect to come into AA Al-Anon or Al-Teen without a guide you know saves you lots of pain lots of pain because you know we're here because we're not all there and I learned that from my sponsor previous to this one I uh, got very busy in Al-Anon because I liked everything about it. I went to 45 meetings my first 30 days in Al-Anon. I did not have a car at my disposal and I was living in a zoo because by then my teenage sons had to begin drinking, not with their father, but of course I used to think they were triplets. And I would go to the... My second meeting on Friday night, my sponsor took me to an open AA meeting in that same speaker meeting and she said this is your seat and I would like to have your rear in it every Friday night unless you have a previous commitment and I want to tell you I thought that was my meeting and I still feel like that today uh, during that period um, well I'll tell you how I felt I, I, uh, I'm getting ahead of myself and I don't like to do that but that's the way my mind works I uh, my sponsor gave me assignments. My first assignment in Al-Anon was to go home and practice being happy. And I said, you don't understand. And she said, I understand that you don't have a problem at meetings. She said, 
Would you believe that nobody behaves at meetings or conferences like they do at home? Never ever thought about that. She said, home's where you have the problem, Carol. So home is where you're going to start working your program. So what you get to do is practice being happy while you do all those four-letter words like wash, iron, bake, cook, love, kiss, all those things that we sometimes release <laughs> release with love or hate. Doesn't matter. Just release. But anyway, that, that's how someone hears it. But anyway, um, that's what I did, and it worked. I'm happy to tell you that everything those old-timers shared with me hurt, and I came into it with some of the best of uh, Al-Anon, really, and the best of AA as it is today. Some of the people that were new then are now our old-timers, and uh, that's always nice. But um, my second assignment in Al-Anon was to... Uh, tell my family that I loved them out loud I said I've always loved them I've always been between kids and their dad and she said oh, I know that but she said that's different that's not what I'm talking about I mean to tell you that you are to verbally tell them that you love them I didn't realize I didn't hear that as a kid I didn't realize I didn't say it it was six years in Allen when after calling my father once a week and I'd say I love you dad and he'd say you're a good kid and hang up the phone in six years of that and one day I said, I love you, Dad. He said, I love you, too. And say, I didn't need my broom to go to a meeting. I just walked. I mean, I just couldn't believe to wait to share that it worked. One more time, all the stuff they told me. You know, and I used to tell my boys the same thing I told my mother, told my brothers, you know, keep your hands in your pocket, your fly zipped, and you won't get in trouble. You know, and now I was saying to them, remember, I love you no matter what. And they'd say, oh, God, what's the matter with her now? You know. <laughs> but it works. It works. I did not know that. My third assignment was to find a God of my understanding. Now I always thought I was a religious person. I learned in Alnon, religion is for those who believe in hell. Spirituality is for those of us that have been there. Big um, And I had to look in the mirror to do that. My sponsor required me to look in the mirror three times a day and practice telling the lady in the mirror that I liked her and that I loved her. And that was very difficult for me. But I also know that my God's a lover. He loves me today, whether I'm naughty or nice, whether I gossip or criticize, whether I swear or I don't, whether I go to church or I don't. All he wants me to do is to be loving and kind. And loving and kind are the only two things that the blind can see and the deaf can hear. And I had to come to program to find that out. Um, I know today that uh, when I gossip and criticize about you, I am criticizing God's work, and I try really not to do that. I am not perfect. I have good days and bad days just like everybody else. My time in the program doesn't mean I'm special. I still require the help of a sponsor. I have a sponsor today. My uh, sponsor, Winnie, died a couple, few years ago, and it was necessary for me to get a new one. And uh, uh, I went three weeks sponsorless, and let me tell you, I was just a raving lunatic. Uh, but I had a lot of fun with that. We told everybody that called me and asked me who, who my new sponsor was going to be. I got You'd be surprised how popular you get when you, they know you don't have a sponsor, and uh, at least in our area. And uh, we told them we were taking, we were taking uh, resumes, and two out of three were going to pick. But uh, I knew right away what I wanted in the sponsor, the same thing I had in me. I wanted someone with a sense of humor and someone that was living the way I wanted to live and someone who had what I wanted. And, uh, and I have that lady today, and I know that, that we're very close. We have lunch together once a week, and, uh, and we talk regularly because she knows me better than I know myself, and she saves me a lot of pain in my daily living. I, uh, when, I, uh, when I completed my steps, and, and uh, God and I got a divorce. It was not something that I ever wanted. It was something that I didn't like um, because my folks had been divorced after 35 years of marriage and seven children. And it was like another war. We all took sides. We all got in stuff that was none of our business. I am so grateful for the ninth step. To me. I made my amends to my family. And believe you me, there is nobody more grateful than I'm in Al-Anon than my family. They really are. And, uh, and my children. Uh, it's uh, just amazing what this program does. And... Uh, 
I had a, started a 12-step panel that was very popular in California. It wasn't that we knew anything more about the 12 steps than you do. It was that we were enthusiastic about it. And I think enthusiasm, if you don't have enthusiasm for anything, it is worth doing, you know. And that, I guess that's the main thing about Al-Anon is I'm an enthusiastic member of Al-Anon, you know. I love it. It just saved my life. I have no doubt in my mind. And uh, so we got that divorce with God's help and uh, we had a tough time with that because my husband did not want it. But you see, through my four-step, I realized that I could not live without trust in my marriage, drunk or sober. And that it was no longer my, my job to make him behave like I thought he should. And it was the best decision I ever made. And you know, I stayed in Al-Anon single. People would say, why are you still coming down on you no longer live with the problem? I said, I have discovered who the enemy is. I always wear this little mirror. It's called, you're looking at the problem mirror. And uh, it was made for me by a double winner in, excuse me, in my group. And uh, she's not a double whiner. She's a double winner. And, uh, and at any time that I forget where the problem is, all I have to do is look in there and I see it. You know, it's very clear to me. And uh, that's what I've, one of the things I've learned. I uh, learned to date now and on. And uh, I was so old that I had to have a dating coach. And uh, I dated some alcoholics that were not uh, conference approved. And, uh, <laughs> and I had a wonderful time. And I'll tell you why. Because the married couples in the fellowships, the three fellows, invited me everywhere. You know, I'd been married over a quarter of a century. I didn't know what to do. I'd never been single. And I dated the same man ever since I was 16, regardless of what he said. And... Uh, so they opened their homes to me. They took me everywhere with them until I was safe enough to go to date. And, uh, and I had a lot of fun. And they were all gentlemen. And they were all at my wedding. And that was nice. Uh, when I was uh, eight years single, <coughs> I was comfortable in my skin. I was comfortable being a grandma. I was comfortable being a single member. And uh, just a happy person. Uh, my job life I'd gone back into the business world after being in a very safe job as a church secretary for the Lutheran Church, the only Catholic they ever certified. And uh, <coughs> they changed that since. <coughs> God sent me a prince. And he sent me that prince as a direct result of the 12 steps of this program and the, and the God that sent to humor. I was very active with Alateens in my area. And uh, two of my Alateens that I'd known since they were 12 years old were getting married. And, uh, and I went to that wedding, and I was dating an ordinary person, uh, a PWP, a person without a program. And uh, he was very boring. And, uh, and the reason he was is that our feelings scare him to death. They don't know what to do with the openness and the feelings that they hear being shared at meetings. So it really scares them. And come to find out he isn't ordinary. You know, his wife's alcoholic. So, um, and he's well on his way. So, uh, but he chose not to go to this wedding because he didn't think there would be any booze there. And uh, so I, I, I had uh, enough self-worth by that time, you know. I knew that I should go, and I was invited, and I went to that wedding. And on the steps of the church in La Habra, California, stood Dick Thornton. And, uh, and I went up to him and gave him a big kiss and a, and a hug and said, Hi, Dick. He said, Hi, Carol. And uh, I didn't know where I knew him from. But I knew he was programmed. And, the, and uh, my roommate said, who's he? And I said, Dick. And she said, but who is he? And I said, I don't know where I've known him. He's programmed. And she said, how do you know that? And I said, I just know by his eyes. And uh, so at the reception, <laughs> at the wedding, rather, I found out that he was the father of the groom. Now, I had known Stevie and David, his brother, for a long time. But I never knew who their parents were because we don't ask you those questions. We don't ask who you married to, what you drive, where you live, any of those things, because it's all in the past anyway. But <clears throat> I realized he was Stevie's dad, and at the reception he walked in with a short, blonde, voluptuous lady, and I thought I'd die. And uh, but I outweighed her. And uh, <laughs> as soon as she went into the ladies' room, I told the mother of the bride, I said, as soon as she goes in to powder her nose, I'm going over and give Dick Thornton my card. And she said, you would do that. And I said. Well, today I would. I said, uh, I'm willing to risk, and this is a program of attraction, and I want what he's got. And uh, 
And I don't have time to tell you about all the wonder of that. But, uh, you know, I, I did, when I got, I gave my car and said, Dick, if you're ever in La Habra, Whittier, please give me a call. And uh, I went home and waited. And uh, I didn't even want the people I sponsored to call and uh, tie up my phone. It was before call waiting. And uh, my sponsor pulled my cover. She said, Carol, if you want Dick Thornton in your life, then then you better put his name on a piece of paper and put him in your God box and get your buns back into the business of living. And that's exactly what I did. And when I had completely forgotten about him, a month later, I was scheduled to go up north and another Al-Nan BR that I worked, that came to work with me, uh, said, you ought to stay home this weekend. And it was a holiday weekend. And I said, oh, God, you know, I've already turned down the potlucks and stuff. You know, I'm going up to see my family. And she said, we've had a busy month. Why don't you stay home? And so, you know, by then I was teachable. And lovable and uh, huggable and the reason I don't shake hands many of you ask me that is because I swung on a man who reached out to touch me in a in a bar when I was walking by and it turned out to be my best friend's father and he said what's the matter with you and I said nothing I just don't like to be touched and that's why I came in here because my husband was very jealous and he used to accuse me of a lot of things you know sometimes I wish I'd have done some of them might have been richer uh, <laughs> If I'd have known about blackout drinking, I can tell you I'd have been richer. But, um, I forgot where I was. Here we go. Anyway, um, I was home that Friday night in bed, about 8.30 reading, and uh, the phone rang, and this deep, sexy voice said, Hi, Carol, this is Dick Thornton. And I said, I know. I know. And uh, we talked for a long time, and more than an hour, and uh, he finally asked me out. And it began for me a necklace of diamonds that only God and I can see. He asked me out, and, uh, and we dated, and uh, God had restored to me all the hormones in the right place, and God had just felt like I was 16. And uh, we fell in love, and that's a diamond. And we fell in love sober. In sober in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, he has a year on me, and he needs that to put up with me. And uh, be sober thinking in the program of Eleanor. And uh, he asked me to marry him, and that's a diamond. And uh, we had a huge church wedding with more than 600 of our love relatives there, and that's what they were. They were love relatives who we just joined two families: his family and on the South Bay, and mine over in the other area. And uh, and it's it's been wonderful. Um, we made a commitment to that marriage. My marriage is my top commitment in my life today, because I. Uh, have a God of my understanding. I work the steps of this program. I believe that there's only three ways to carry the message of Alan on AA and Alateen. That's by one example, two example, and three example. I, uh, we went to see a marriage counselor because we wanted it all. And uh, Dick gave me my ring on Halloween when all good witches get their ring. And... <laughs> And uh, he said, there's only two problems, Carol, in any marriage, first, second, third, whatever the problems are. It's always kids and money, and it's always in that order. And so we made some uh, rules together. And uh, when our kids call and want to talk to their mommy or their daddy, they have to talk to us as a couple because that's what we are. And uh, we have 18 grandchildren, and uh, we do absolutely no babysitting. That's a diamond. <laughs> All of our children have been married longer than we are. That's a diamond. And uh, we uh, do all the things that the big book talks about. You know, on page 168 in Lois Remembers, uh, Bill Wilson spoke at an Allen picnic, and he said, We AAs don't grow away from don't stay away from drinking. We grow away from drinking. And if our mates don't grow along with us, we grow away from them. Some marriages made in sickness don't survive good health. When one of you gets healthy in the program and the other one doesn't go along, it doesn't always survive. This is not divorce synonymous. But I'm here to tell you that it's, that it's just worth, worth every bit of the pain, every bit of it. Um, we have a program home, and by that I mean it's an open home, the thing I've always dreamed about. That's a diamond. We pray on our knees together, morning and night. That's a diamond. Dick loves me, trusts me. I do the same with him. He is probably the finest friend, the finest friend I've ever had in my life. We've got lots of, of uh, health problems. 
I tell you, our children are fine. I have a daughter. The oldest one's got 18 years in Elna. I'm grateful for her. She's, she's a great kid. And uh, she's smarter than the rest because at least she went to program. I have a second daughter and uh, who's a lot like her mother. She has very little self-worth and into everything. And all she does when she comes is cry and she doesn't want to go down on. And that's her privilege. She can stay as miserable as she is. And uh, <clears throat> my oldest son, I think... His, his drinking bothers me, but I will tell you what I've learned about that. It is so much easier to release children when they live out of state. <laughs> My youngest son uh, went to some ACA meetings in uh, the city. They, he went to the group that's called Always Continually Accusing. I don't know whether you have that here. <laughs> wrote me a letter and told me what a rotten mother I was, and uh, and I agreed. And... Uh, I, when he called me and said, how come you haven't answered my letter? I said, uh, God, I did the best I could with what I had, and I've made my amends to you, and uh, I'm not getting in the middle. You were mine for 18 years, and I raised you no different than the others. So whatever you've done from now to 30, from 18 to 32 is really none of my business. So I release you with love, too. And uh, I've not seen him in four years. He has a fatal disease called aplastic anemia and probably a lot of other stuff that goes. Uh, I think he's heavy into dope, and that's his privilege. But um, And some days it's hard to deal with that. But you see, God, he is a God of his understanding, and I love him no matter what he does, and I always will. And it's not always easy. Dick got very sick with emphysema and has almost died many times. But you have given me the faith, and you have always been there for me. I have never, ever had to go anywhere alone. You know, when he was... One of the times when he was dying, you know, the, the doctor said, Carol, you have to prepare yourself. And I said, no, I don't. I'm prepared, but not for death. And uh, Dick said, you have to release me. I said, no way, buddy. You're not getting off this easy. I said, uh, I don't believe God brought us this far to abandon us now, and we haven't been married long enough. This February, we will celebrate 13 years of continued marriage, and it's been a wonderful, wonderful thing. Wonderful. Two years ago, my husband was on a lung transplant list, and he received a new lung on July 10th of last year, and uh, it's been great. He's having some problems with it now, but uh, I am positive about that because you have taught me to think positive. You have taught me to turn it over to God. I don't... Um, we have a, a wonderful home because we both have a great sense of humor, and you know... We laugh at some really weird things, you know, just really weird, and it's wonderful. And uh, you've given us that, you know, the ability to laugh. And, and uh, the good part about this diamond necklace is that the, the worse the times get, the closer Dick and I get. I never had that before in my life, and I adore it, you know. There's some people in this room whose marriages I have patterned mine after. And uh, I love the company of my husband. I'd rather be with him than anybody, you know. But uh, I'm here this weekend because it's it's... It's really a privilege. And uh, my sponsor is a big diamond on my necklace. I believe heavy in sponsorship. Uh, when I was new, I had uh, lots of rules about sponsorship. Today, I only have one, and that's call before you shoot. Because, <laughs> as I said earlier, nobody does anything unless they're, they're in a lot of pain. They're not going to work the steps if they don't want to. And I certainly want them to, to be ready, but they don't unless they're really, really ready. And they only see that by example, you know. And it's a lot of fun. I, I have a, a whole bunch of little ladies, you know, the kind I always wanted to be, tiny, cute, and voluptuous, you know. And the one thing about them is most of them are, were husband beaters. And uh, they're very dear to my heart. I don't have <laughs> I call it my Mafia Squad, and uh, that stands for a magnificent Alamon's fit for instant assault. And, uh, and they're wonderful. We have a lot of fun. And what I encourage them to do is before they get into anything else in Alamon, to do their service at home. That home is where the problem is. So they begin their service at home. And then when they're ready, they can do all the other things that are required of them. They go to the to meet. They don't have to be in my company at meetings. I don't give them advice. I'm there when they when they want me and, and when they need me, and I'll, I'm just a call away. But um, I believe that they will find the problem. I mean, they will come to Al-Anon quicker and stay like they should if they're shown how. 
by example. And it's worked very well. We have a lot of fun in that area. Uh, my home group is the Monday night podium participation meeting in Torrance, California. And uh, the islands have to stand up at a microphone and be counted. And uh, we've had some very fine speakers that come out of that group. It's a fun thing. We, uh, we don't talk about the alcoholic. Uh, we have enough problems of our own, and uh, and it's wonderful. We have a lot of laughter and a lot of fun, and uh, we do things in groups. You know, um, I know that unless you turn it over to God, it's just going to be hell for you. And and I had to learn that the hard way. You know, um, when I got here, I weighed 97 pounds, soaking wet. You know, I have certainly grown, and. Uh, <laughs> Because Al-Anons, you know, those that are living with alcoholism don't take care of themselves. We commit suicide ourselves on a regular basis. We eat, we don't eat, we smoke, we do everything that we can uh, to uh, to kill ourselves. I don't usually do this, and this will be probably one of the first times, but since I've turned 20, I've grown enough to use uh, a poem from my sponsor, and I'm going to close with that because it means a lot to me. And I didn't know what she meant when she used to read it but it was about her mom and I use it today with my husband because I don't know how long he's got the other day he said you know I wanted to know if I was too sick to take care of you when you had surgery in August and and I said uh, you're not you're not sick dick you're dying big difference I said don't give me that sick stuff I said uh, we're all dying none of us none of us know when we're going to go you know but if I live every day as though it's my last day I'm not going to have too much to say at night you know, I have a prayer that I use at work. You know, dear God, uh, let, treat me tomorrow like I've treated everybody today. Sometimes I don't use it. <laughs> Not perfect. Remember, close with this. As children bring their broken toys with tears for us to mend, I brought my broken dreams to God because he was my friend. But then instead of leaving him in peace to work alone, I hung around and tried to help with ways that were my own. At last I snatched them back and cried, How can you be so slow? My child, he said, What could I do? You never let them go. So if you don't do anything else, let go and let God in. Above all, get a sponsor, have some fun, work the steps, go to fun meetings, and if you don't, stay at your own until they become fun, you know. And uh, don't take up space if you're not really serious. Thank you. <laughs>